Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Jake Watroba, and on today's episode, we break down the U.S. men's national team's 7-0 victory over Trinidad and Tobago. You can follow the show on Twitter at Pod, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get to today's episode. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Alrighty, boys, we are back Sunday night following the U.S. men's national team's, uh, I guess, complete dismantling of Trinidad and Tobago. They win 7 nothing. I got Justin Sosa on the line with me. I got JJ Post. You can follow us on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod, at JustinSosa99, at JJ Post, and at Jake Watroba. If you're just, uh, you know, if you're just sleep under a rock I guess like I said U.S. men's national team beat Trinidad and Tobago 7-0 goals by Jonathan Lewis Jesus Ferreira Paul Ariel the three of them had braces and uh, Miles Robinson also tallied a goal the first time in U.S. men's national team history in which the national team has scored five plus goals in three straight matches uh, guys, I guess let's. We're gonna just skip pleasantries. We're gonna skip how you doing here. We're gonna go straight to the question of the day. Question of the day, uh, listeners at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. In games as lopsided as we saw tonight against uh, an inferior opponent, can anything meaningful be taken away from it? Now, I, I, I saw this debated on Twitter. I saw people saying this game is pointless. It's stupid. Trinidad and Tobago are. It's like the it's like the Brad Pitt line in Moneyball. Okay, there are there are rich teams and there are poor teams, and there's fifty feet of crap, and then there's us. That's like Trinidad and Tobago. There are good teams, there are bad teams. Fifty feet of crap, TNT. Okay, that's what I feel like we saw tonight. Like JJ, like what to you? Like what what, what do you take away from it? Did, was this a meaningless friendly for you, or did you did you see it differently? I see the argument to say this was a useless friendly, and. Uh, to an extent, I do agree with it. We probably can't judge the quality of our players. We probably can't judge the quality of anything we tried tactically against a team that realistically didn't really have any shot of matching up man for man with um, the United States. But what my takeaway, what made the game, you know, worth watching, if at all, you know, the little bit it was worth watching, was more structural. Structural, how Greg Berhalter wanted to come in and set up, like more of a, you know, just on the outset before the ball was even kicked off what the plan was and i think you know we did see some interesting kind of uh quirks in how they did like how we used uh, jesus ferreira for example um as like that false nine role he was dropping deep into the midfield at times it really felt like a lot of the um attack was being dictated uh creatively by ferreira instead of you know a midfielder or a winger being cutting in which i think was a really interesting wrinkle that we had not seen previously with uh, you know any of the usa teams um, certainly not with um, any of the teams in which, for example, Jossie Zardes was striking, because Zardes 
is not really a creator. Ferreira can also play the 10, and I think uh, Berhalter really uh, emphasized that in the way he had him play striker. And uh, you saw Ferreira really rewarded him with um, uh, two goals, three assists, I believe. Um, and then on the outset, the fullbacks, I think Herrera and uh, Vines both made a strong case for themselves, even with, you know, you know, you can't really judge, like we said, because the opposition is poor. But I think from a positioning standpoint, the things that you can't really control, uh, no matter the, any game environment, you know, they got into the right positions. They chose the right balls. They, uh, you know, were doing things that no matter who you play against, it's going to be, you know, good stuff to look forward. So I think uh, they both, if they're not necessarily, I personally think Sam Vines should be our starting left back. If they weren't the starting left backs, even if you want to just talk about, you know, on a depth chart, I think they really made a strong case that they are in competition for a spot on that best 11, best 23. Yeah, I'm in agreement with JJ in terms of these games kind of being um, our reference point, so to speak, to see if players are capable of doing the jobs that Berhalter wants to see out of each position. Um I'm also in agreement that Sam Vine should be our starting left back. I fly that flag uh, high and proud. Um, and I think this game, again, against the weak opposition, but was by far his best game in terms of showing us what he's capable of doing when he gets forward and that he's competent enough to be solid at the back, which is my concern with Anthony Robinson in terms of him, you know, being solid at the back. Um being able to get back on defense when he pushes up and just kind of be in tune for the entire game. I don't think he's really shown that in any of his caps for the U S and I know some of them have been against teams like Brazil and where he has to defend Douglas Costa. And, you know, that's not an easy job, but at the same time, that is kind of the level of play that we're trying to get at and that we need to be at. Um, So hopefully vines does get a look at a full camp when, you know, we have our strongest team together at some point, hopefully in the near future. Um, and he plays against some tough European opposition on that, on that left side. Um, other things I kind of took away from this game, um, Jonathan Lewis was probably having his best performance in the U S Jersey tonight too. Um, it's not just again, that it's weak opposition. It's the manner in which that he said, I want the ball and I'm going to take on my defender every single time I get it. Um, And I said before, you know, that we started recording and like jokingly that he sauced like six or seven defenders today, different defenders at different points in this game. Um, And I think that just goes to show, you know, the level of self-confidence that he has in himself um, and, you know, the kind of freedom that Berhalter gives him in terms of being like, I know what you're capable of and I want to see more of that on the field. He did that today. He got two goals. Um, We've got one or two assists as well. Um, Him. Legit and Vines on that left side, even though Legit kind of shifted from side to side, were absolutely electric. I thought it was great kind of seeing them all linked together at different points, you know, take turns going out wide, take turns coming inside, take turns dropping off. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think this was a good, good amp for a lot of the MLS guys who are still young and looking to claim uh, a fringe spot on the, on the full roster. Yeah, and, and for me, I kind of went back and forth on if you can take anything away from this game. Um, I think playing an inferior opponent like Trinidad and Tobago, unfortunately, I think what you're looking for are, are players that are taking advantage of the opportunity they're given, which I think, Justin, is what you're kind of hammering home as it relates to a guy like Jonathan Lewis who stepped up and, and made the most of his opportunity. I mean, for me, I, I went into this game just hoping to see um, – 
hoping to see really good individual performances. I think that's all you can really ask for. Like, we've, we've mentioned Sam Vines 20 times here already, and we're going to probably mention him 20 more times here before this show is, is over. But um, that's, that's what I took from this. Like I said, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure there's anything really super meaningful you can really get out of a game like tonight. Like, like you know, you, you can only play who's in front of you, right? I mean, it's a 7-0 game. Against Fernando Bagel, it's a bad team. But you would hope that, I think, a, a big knock that U.S. men's national team fans had with this national team just a few years ago is it almost felt like players didn't really get up after they had been uh, eliminated from the World Cup and they went through the Dave Sarakin days. It almost felt like there were players who weren't getting up for the matches. And now it, it, it I feel like there's been a shift where I feel like players are getting up for matches, um, getting up for you know a match like this. And, and taking advantage of the opportunity at hand. So um, that was refreshing to see. Um, I want to kind of shift gears, and I think Justin and JJ, you, we've kind of both already touched on it, but who and or what stuck out to you guys the most tonight? Was there any anything, either individual player or anything, that Greg Berhalter did tactically that stood out to you guys? Yeah, I. every time I watch like the MLS group play, I don't know if it's just because they all know they have a little bit more to prove when they play these games, um, or if it's just, you know, the the personalities in the camp. But it always feels like it's a little more electrifying to kind of watch the MLS players all group together and get on, you know, get these games under their belt. Um, I feel like with the European guys, like, it's a lot more methodical, maybe because Berhalter just has a little bit more trust in them to be a little bit more tactically savvy. So that's what they work on in their games. Um, but like we're seeing, you know, at one point I have, at one point we saw Aaron Herrera playing right center forward with Paul Ariola drop back, get right back. And, and another point, like JJ pointed out earlier, you know, Ferreira is playing the deepest midfield role, um, almost like a six at one point, just trying to get the ball in midfield. Um, and so I just think this kind of organized chaos that Burhalter is kind of established within his style of play in terms of players being able to be as fluid as they are on the field with their positioning and, and just kind of understanding what their role needs to be wherever they are on the field. Um, it's just really cool to see. It's really fun. And like, you know, moments where you're seeing a striker, you know, almost as a center back, and you're just like, what is going on? And then they still pull together this crazy, awesome buildup play that leads to a goal or almost leads to a goal. And you're just like, wow, like these guys can really, can really ball and these guys really know what they're doing regardless of kind of where they're stationed. So yeah, speaking to the fluidity uh, you mentioned in the tactical and the lineup sort of selection by Burhalter, one thing that I think um, almost really kind of stood out or didn't stand out to me was the midfield because I kind of felt it was kind of like the silent hand at times. Like Jackson Ewell, you didn't really, unless you were looking for him, you wouldn't really, you know, notice his presence on the game. He wasn't really all over the place. He wasn't really a destroyer. He wasn't really getting involved. He was kind of just, you know, lying back, picking out passes. Legette wasn't really that influence, uh, one that big of an influence. He drove the ball forward well. He did his job. You know, he received the ball from defense, brought it forward. Um, I think overall the midfield didn't have that huge of a presence on the game, but they also were largely instrumental in, you know, setting things up just by, you know, kind of staying out of the way of the offense once the offense got the ball. They were there as an outlet uh for both the defense and the offense by, you know, kind of linking between the two. And I think, you know, compared to you know, the organized chaos of the general scheme of things in which, you know, you have Herrera going forward all the way, you have, you know, different players dropping back. I think 
uh, like Ferreira, I think you really uh, kind of see how the midfield both becomes overrun and but also is, you know, involved, pulling the strings all the same. Obviously, you know, against Trinidad and Tobago, it's very easy to, you know, do what you want with the midfield because, you know, you just have so much talent and the, the gap is so big that you can just kind of run over them. Um, I think it was still very uh, interesting to see if he plans on making future midfield selections, uh, probably obviously containing players like McKenney and Adams. Um, if he selects players in the future and uses them more as a kind of a, a linker, a, um, a link between the offense and defense rather than a player that will be actively hugely involved on in all facets of the game, because that is kind of McKenney and Adams style. They're, you know, destroyers. They, you know, they break up play, they run around, they press like hell. I think the fa- the, the um, dichotomy between the way, you know, Adams and McKenney play and the way he had Yule and uh, the Jet play today is something that is going to be interesting to see how it would convert to an A-team style of game if the player profile he's looking for is that profile we saw today. Because I don't think he's necessarily going to get the best of what McKenney and Adams do if that's what he's looking for. Yeah, and if, if I can also add in something too, um, just kind of on Perea's, Andres Perea's debut in the second half, him coming on. Um, there's a lot to be excited about with him. And I know a lot of people have already kind of tagged him with a Tyler Adams light, um, you know, trademark or, and I, I, I'm guilty of doing that too. But I think one thing we all have to be really, really patient about with him um, is that from, from watching, you know, a handful of his games with Orlando, he's very prone to making um, a clumsy foul. And he kind of showed that giving away the penalty earlier tonight. Um, and the other thing too, is he's still kind of learning how to find little pockets of space and kind of learning to command that he wants the ball at his feet at certain points uh, where I think Adams, you know, doesn't make silly fouls. He's, you know, we all know his tackling is great. We all know his defensive positioning is great. So he doesn't necessarily get caught out too often. Um, I think Perea is still learning a little bit of that technical and positional know-how of the position. Um, he he was hitting a few long balls into the channels that I thought were really impressive. Um, just kind of showed that he understood where players were moving into and where the space would be as the U.S. kind of shifted the ball toward either side. Um, so, yeah, that was just one player who I was really hoping would start the game. And then luckily he got at least 45 minutes uh, to play. And we saw Yule as like one of those advanced number eights, which I thought was interesting. Because I don't think we've ever seen him play in that position. I don't think he'll play there again unless Burhalter absolutely needs to play him there for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, it was just kind of cool to see again, our players are capable of shifting, even if it is a center mid position to a further advanced center mid position and, and knowing what their roles are and what they need to do there. Okay. I'm going to have a very basic, uh, basic outlook uh, <laughs> for what I took, uh, what, what stood out to me the most. Um, Justin and even, to a, even JJ, you have been uh, in this corner as well, but I know Justin, who's been on the show longer than you have, has really hammered this point home um, just about how good Sam Vines is. He he stood out to me a lot tonight. I was thoroughly impressed. I mean, that ball he that that, that ball he he connected with Jesus Ferreira, I, I believe, who then uh, assisted on the the Jonathan Lewis goal there to open the match. I, I don't know which one of you said it in our in our group chat, but. Anthony Robinson isn't making that pass. And, and, and yeah, I, I don't even think Anthony Robinson has uh, the thought in his mind to attempt that pass. And and again, you know, maybe that's a subtle – no, it's not really a subtle shot. It is kind of a shot at Anthony Robinson. Um, 
But I mean, even for Fulham, I don't see him looking to make that type of curved ball, especially on the ground into a forwards run. He's a very straight line runner, very uh, gets to the end line. I'm going to cross the ball type of player. Um, he's inconsistent with his kind of link up play on the wing. He's inconsistent at beating players. I just think Sam Vines offers more all around and like, it's okay to admit that an MLSer might provide a little bit more than a Premier League left back at the position. Every good team has a player, you know, not on a blockbuster team. I mean, I was just looking at at Germ- the Germany team that won the the 2014 World Cup, and you know they had Christoph Kramer starting in center midfield for them, and, and yeah, he was starting in the Bundesliga, but like comparatively to the rest of his teammates, he's not. He wasn't on a team fighting for the title or a team consistently in Europe. Um, I believe at that point he was he might have just gone to Borussia Mönchengladbach and you know they are fighting for european spots in the bundesliga but that's not always the case every season i don't believe it was the case when he first got there either um so you know like it's it's okay to have an mls guy starting at left back it's really not going to be the end of the world especially if he objectively performs better when the opposition gets more difficult for him um which is why i think when this march camp rolls around or whenever we can finally play actual competitive games or strong opposition, it's crucial to see him playing at left back with Dester Cannon or whoever else at right back, just well, to see what he's really capable of. Does does it benefit Sam Vines that MLS is pushing their season back to uh, what is it the beginning of April now? And if that camp is in March, like let's just say at the MLS season starts when it's supposed to beginning of March, is Sam Vines getting called into that camp? Because I believe. Uh, John Strong had mentioned that those matches were going to be in Europe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm-hmm. Does MLS pushing their season back a few weeks um, benefit him a little bit? Is that does he get a call into that European or that March window there, or are they, is that going to be mostly European based players? Because for me, I, and I don't have anything against an MLS player starting. Um, I think looking at if you were to make a, you know a squad for your World Cup. If the World Cup started today, I think we would all probably be in agreement that either uh, Walker Zimmerman or Aaron Long is your starting center back next to John Brooks, right? Yeah. Unless unless, unless, unless we're going to go crazy and do Chris Richards, which, hey, I'm all for going crazy. That's fine by me. But So I, I, have, nothing, I, I have nothing against that. I just wanted to see Sam Lines do it tonight. Like, that was, that was another thing I wanted to look at tonight. Like... I wanted to watch him, and I wanted to almost see if he had the ability to feature for the U.S. men's national team in a starting left-back role. And I get it, again, let's preface this by saying it's Trinidad and Tobago, but not look overmatched, not look kind of average. He, he looked spectacular. He looked like he was one of the best players on the field tonight for the men's national team. And him bombing up and down the, that left side of the, of the field there, like you mentioned earlier, Justin, he and Leggett and uh, Ferreira, or maybe it was John, or Jonathan Lewis, sorry. I mean, they, they, look, they look really good on that left-hand side. So I, I could totally see him featuring for the men's national team when World Cup qualifiers come around here if Greg Berhalter prefers to play Serginho Dest at right back as opposed to playing him at left back with Reggie Cannon at right back. So to me, that's, that's what I wanted to see was just I kind of wanted to see Sam Vines kind of ball out, and I think he did that tonight. Yeah, on the positive note with the discourse here, I, I, you know, I think if nothing else, I think it's testament to 
the uh, the difference in the amount of talent we have as a pool now, as we had five years ago, ten years ago, that are a left back from MLS who is young. Uh, I think Sam Vines is twenty. He's young, regardless. Balls out in a game in a friendly, and the reaction is not people freaking out like, "Oh my God, we found a future star." And it's like it's it's some MLS left back. Who cares? Like. If this happened 10 years ago, if this happened 20 years ago, this is a headline news story. Breakout young star has excellent game. And now we're debating whether he's even a backup at our weakest position on the field. I think that's, if you want to go for the positive angle, a pretty big takeaway that we can look at our roster and think a player that just in his um, his second international start just had an amazing game, and we're debating whether he's our backup at our weakest position or not. Well, who's to say he doesn't... Who's to say, you know, when World Cup qualifiers come around in the fall here, who's to say he plays well in a couple matches there, and all of a sudden you have teams in Europe, and I know there have been teams in Europe looking at him, but who's to say a team in Germany, a mid-table club in Germany, like, let's just throw out Gladbach, all right? Let's just use them for an example here. Comes knocking, and all of a sudden he's playing in Germany. I mean, this could be the... Sam Vines getting this platform to, to play is probably going to open up more doors for him in Europe now. To, yeah. to he's, he's I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even say the door hasn't been open either. Like, I know Cole Bassett's been linked with Freiburg a lot, you know, since kind of breaking on with Colorado. And I think that's kind of led them to also having interest in Sam Bynes. Um, so I think the interest from Germany, at least, is definitely there. Um, and, I mean, just one thing, too, like, to Sam Bynes' credit again, I feel, I feel like the reason why I kind of stick up for him specifically, as opposed to like a lot of other MLS players who like, you know, someone like Jordan Morris, who like has that debate of whether he should be starting at right wing or not. The reason why I, I go at it so hard with Sam Bynes, like I've seen people put Kobe Hernandez Foster ahead of him on the death chart. And like, well, I think that's a great prospect in the future. Like, I just think that's incredibly disrespectful to, to the fact that like Sam Bynes has already carved out a starting role for two years now at the Rapids, you know, and even if it is MLS, it's at the senior club professional level. Like Kobe Hernandez Foster has even made his senior debut for, I believe he's at Wolfsburg now. Um, and, you know, not that it's his fault that he didn't do it at, at the LA galaxy when he was there. Um, but, you know, he didn't do it there either. Um, so I just kind of wish more people were on board with giving him the opportunity to show what he's got in situations where Robinson's been given that opportunity. Um, so that's like that's kind of my whole origin story of why I am on this Sam Vines train. Yeah, my hope for this game would be that, you know, if nothing else, if it's not the teams in Europe, that at the minimum some fans are going to now at least acknowledge that Sam Vines is a good player. Like, you know, for me it's a personal pet peeve. I know that's a pretty, uh, you know, big debate in the general U.S. men's national team community. But realistically speaking, I don't think a lot of U.S. men's national team, you know, fans – exclusive fans of the U.S. men's national team or like a, you know, not MLS fans basically would tell you where Sam Vines could play. Like, I don't, I don't think many people like, and they shouldn't because until last year, the Rapids weren't good, watch the Colorado Rapids on a regular basis. So I think if nothing else, you know, hopefully this was Sam Vines, uh, you know, first taste to a lot of, you know, not casual fans, but fans that only really focus on, you know, the top quality soccer, which would be national team and premier league. Um, hopefully for those fans, this is their first awakening to Sam Vines, and it was a really good experience. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that this podcast, at least the three of us, 
we are all Sam Vine stands now. I think. I think, you, <laughs> listeners. I think if we, if you, the one thing you can take away from this episode is that we are all Sam Vine stands. So uh, that's it for today's show, uh, listeners. Question of the day at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Our games, like we saw against Trinidad and Tobago, can you take anything meaningful away from them? Seven nil victory over TNT. Is that is there anything meaningful that we can take away from it? Let us know on Twitter at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. You can follow Justin Sosa at Justin Sosa ninety nine. You can follow JJ Post at JJ Post. You can follow myself at Jake Watroba. For Justin and JJ, I'm Jake. We'll talk to you guys next time. Deuces. Mm-hmm.